0: Hello and welcome, I'm Megan Crabtree, and one of my favorite times of the day is when I'm getting ready and can throw on a true crime case without distraction. Every week, we dive into a new case while you grab your makeup, sip your coffee, and get ready with murder. It's April 18th, 2016 the morning was dreary as a thunderstorm had just rolled through the previous night, and Missy Beavers woke up really early that morning, as she normally would, to instruct an exercise course at her church. She had posted a Facebook post the night before letting her students know that the exercise class was still on despite this weather, but that she would be holding it indoors due to the storms. Little did Missy know at the time that the last known sighting of her would be on the church surveillance camera at 4.18 a.m. walking into the building to set up for her class. Just less than 45 minutes later, her first students of the morning would enter the church to find Missy's lifeless body. This is the mysterious murder of Missy Beavers. Missy Beavers was born on August 9, 1970 in Graham, Texas. Missy met her husband Brandon Beavers and they were married in 1998. The couple went on to have 3 daughters aged 8, 13, and 15 at the time of Missy's death. After Missy gave birth to their first daughter, she decided it was best for her family for her to quit her career in special education and become a stay-at-home mom. As their daughters grew older, Missy developed a love for fitness and she actually became a really well-known fitness instructor in their town of Midlothian, Texas. Missy's fitness students and clients all described her as just super encouraging, such a leader. She helped them really believe that they could make a healthy change in their lives. Missy was described as incredibly compassionate, and as the years went on, she decided to become a fitness instructor for a program called Gladiator Fitness that was held at her church. April 18th, 2016 was supposed to be a routine day for Missy. She had been teaching her Gladiator class for some time at that point, and she was dedicated to showing up and always being there for her students. Some spring thunderstorms had been rolling through her area. And the night before she decided to make a Facebook post, you know, just confirming with her students that rain or shine, they were going to get their butts up in the morning and go work out. And the post actually read, if it's raining, we're still training. Now, I want to note here, because this does become a popular topic in this investigation, Missy's gladiator course and social media regarding that was public. She was promoting this class and updating members of the community who would be a part of that class all on social media. And like I've heard a lot of people give her grief about basically making her whereabouts Public information online, but this was just a part of her job. So there really wasn't anything that she was like, you know, doing wrong here by posting that status. So anyway, at 3.50 that morning, the suspect in this case would make their first appearance on the surveillance cameras at the church. The entire scene is really interesting to watch. I highly recommend looking up this video. I'll make sure to post it to Instagram for you guys. It is, it's just interesting. And I'm gonna do my very best to describe it to you as you're listening. So the video begins with this person in a hallway, opening doors and peering into rooms and kind of like swinging objects in their hand, breaking glass. So the suspect is fully dressed in what I can only describe as what looks like tactical police gear to me. And like some of it looks legit, like what you would expect a policeman to wear. And some of it looks like It has just been thrown into this outfit from like a Goodwill or something. The jacket reads police on the back in large block letters like you would normally see. But the suspect is also wearing a helmet and it just looks super off to me. It's like really shiny. It almost looks like it should be an army helmet, but it's just too shiny, like it came from a costume shop. You know what I mean? And this person is also wearing black gloves and what I would describe as combat boots. Basically, they are covered from head to toe and you cannot see their face. So, the suspect is also carrying two objects, one in either hand, and this person kind of like pauses outside of a second door that's shown and is trying to gain access into it, and they just kind of like fiddle with these objects in their hands and then And one of them looks like a claw hammer, in my opinion. And then the other object, I really cannot get a good read on what it could be from the video alone. So the suspect continues to walk through the building, really in like no hurry at all. He opens more doors and peers inside. And this is one of the most talked about things in this case is how this person is walking. They have almost what I would call a limp, but not to the point that it's like heavily affecting their ability to walk more. So it's just very subtle with their right foot slightly pointed outward. Like if you ran into this person in real life, it was obvious enough that you would probably notice it, but it wasn't like this crazy excessive limping, like they need crutches. You know what I mean? Also, there's a lot of speculation as to if this person is faking this walk. And honestly, like to me, it looks legit. It seems like a natural pace and movement. So I don't think it was put on. That's just my opinion though. So physically, this person also has what I would honestly describe as like a possible beer belly. It's hard to say because they are wearing a police vest, like a heavy duty bulletproof the vest and those kind of give like a flattened look to your body, but it is clear that they have some type of belly underneath of this vest. And okay, there is a ton of debate about whether or not this person is male or female because their face is completely covered. I obviously have no expertise here, but just watching this footage, the walk is incredibly female to me. I don't know how to describe it other than this person almost has like a glide to their step that a lot of females typically have. Also, it looks like this person has breasts. Like, again. The vest flattens out a lot of the front of their body, but I definitely feel like I see some female anatomy here. So the video then cuts off to this person entering a door and then the door opening to like another hallway. They go through that door again with something clearly visible in their left hand that isn't easy to tell what it could be on the video, but it is large enough that I feel like it could have been used as a weapon for sure. The video then just cuts to the suspect being like mostly off screen and then that's it that's all they released. Now, I am sure that the police have more video footage, but this is the only released footage that they have allowed the public to view. Also, I personally think that the actual murder was likely caught on camera as well because the church seemed to have been just like loaded with security cameras from what I can see in this footage. I also want to note something that I found in my research that definitely could be important to the case. So nearby, there was a sporting goods store. And around 2 a.m., that store surveillance footage actually caught a light-colored either 2010 to 2012 Nissan Altima or a 2010 to 2012 Infiniti G37, or like a similar vehicle to those styles. The camera footage caught the car driving slowly through the parking lot, turning the lights on and off several times, and then parking for a short period of time before leaving the parking lot. Now, could this be nothing? Absolutely. But the time of this happening is only less than two hours from the time that the suspect enters the church building. Could this car have been signaling somebody? Could they have possibly planned to rob that store and realize that it was a no-go for some reason and then left and fled to the church? Like, it's all definitely... A possibility. So Missy arrives at the church confirmed by the security cameras at 4 18 a.m., just a little under 30 minutes since the suspect entered the building. Her class was set to start at 5 a.m. that morning, and there is unreleased surveillance footage showing Missy taking exercise equipment from her truck into the church building. Now at 4 35 a.m., one of Missy's students arrives to the church, and this person just parks in the parking lot, waiting for class to start. And what breaks my heart about this is that who this person was, was very likely sitting there in the parking lot during the moments that Missy was being attacked inside. Now, investigators would determine that Missy's murder in general happened really quickly after she entered the building. It is unclear if the surveillance footage caught the suspect leaving the building on camera. I imagine that it did, and this is something that the police just like have not released. Now, just after 5 a.m., some of her students would enter the building and discover Missy. Two calls would be placed and put in at the same time from the church building. And at 5.07 a.m., authorities would begin to arrive and investigate the scene. Now, initially, police felt like this was a burglary break-in gone wrong. Basically, from what they saw on surveillance cameras, they determined at the time that whoever did this was at the building attempting to rob it and then was surprised by Missy showing up. Here's the thing, though. There wasn't anything found missing from the church. And this person had plenty of time leading up to when Missy got to the building to rob it and then like go about their way. They were there for nearly 30 minutes prior to Missy arriving. And the suspect was like leisurely walking around the hallways, not in a hurry at all. This just did not line up with what a typical burglary would look like. So Brandon Beavers, Missy's husband, would have a public interview with the media just a couple of days following Missy's murder. This interview is long. I listen to it and I have opinions, but let me just say too that leading up to Missy's death, their marriage had been incredibly rocky. There was infidelity going on in the relationship, and though there isn't explicit details going into this, Brandon makes some comments that lead me to believe that the affair or affairs had been going on for at least 10 months. So during his interview, Brandon tells reporters that Missy always texted him that she loved him every night, quote, for the last 10 months, unquote. I don't know about you, but to me, it sounds like some kind of check in with me agreement was established in their marriage 10 months prior to the time of her death. Because that's just an oddly specific timeline and just kind of weird. To point out, you know, so Brandon's interview would go on for a while and he's kind of all over the place in this interview, which really, I mean, I would expect the man to be considering his wife was murdered just 48 hours before. Now, at that point in time during the interview, Brandon tells the media that he does not believe that his wife was targeted and that he believes that she walked into a burglary and was murdered just due to that alone. However, not long after this interview, investigators would say that they now do not only believe that this was not a burglary gone gone wrong, but that they fully believe that Missy was a target here. Why? Well, this is where it gets interesting. On April 19th, the day following the murder, investigators get a warrant for Missy's phone, laptop, and iPad. When they searched these items, they discovered that Missy had been speaking to someone via her LinkedIn account. According to allthatisinteresting.com, investigators believed that the killer communicated with Beavers through LinkedIn three days before her murder, as Beavers had shown her friend a private LinkedIn message from an unknown man that had made her uncomfortable. Beavers and her friend had agreed that the message was, quote, creepy and strange. Officials described the messages between this individual and Missy as just that, creepy and strange, and they end up turning flirtatious and familiar really quickly, which is weird. I don't know what to think about that because these messages are never released, so we've never been able to read them. But the fact that they started creepy and strange and then turned into, quote, flirtatious and familiar very quickly is odd. And it's clear that the investigators believe that whoever this person was that Missy was talking to is somehow connected to her murder. So, whatever else was included in these messages, Missy apparently didn't feel they were like an immediate threat to her and was just, you know, going about her life as usual. Investigators would initially tell the public that the suspect was male, but they would quickly backtrack, explaining that they couldn't be for sure if the person was male or female. They would describe the suspect as being between five foot two and five foot seven after initially saying that the suspect was much taller than that which we find this a lot in these investigations where they will release information before they really have confirmed information and they should have just like kept their mouth shut before they said anything, but that's just kind of how it goes with this stuff. On April 21st, a warrant was released that gave a little bit of insight into how Missy was killed, which was indicated as quote, a head wound, unquote, and that her killer had used a unknown instrument to murder her which would explain whatever the suspect was holding in either hand on the security footage that was released. Later in May, the report would follow up with clarifying that she had died from a head wound as well as chest wounds that were, quote, consistent with tools the suspect was carrying through the building. Now, the following day, on April 22nd, investigators would release a longer version of the security footage at the church, which would reveal more images of the suspect roaming the hallways and swinging something that resembled a hammer in their hands. But even more interestingly, you guys, things would take a really weird twist regarding suspects. So on this same day, Missy's father-in-law, Randy Beaver, well, he would go to his local dry cleaner, right? And I mean... Nothing unusual about dropping off some dry cleaning, but what is unusual is that the dry cleaning he decided to drop off that day was a size 2X women's shirt that was, ready for this, soaked in blood. Yeah, the shirt he took to the dry cleaners was just drenched in blood. As per usual, I mean, who doesn't take their bloody clothes to the dry cleaner? right? So Randy tells this dry cleaning employee like, oh yeah, my dog got into this really awful fight and the blood is from my dog. Well, naturally, the employee is suspicious as they should be and he knows that randy is related to missy and that she was just brutally murdered so he of course hands this information over to the police now online communities have jumped and ran with this info going down like endless rabbit holes of why randy is the killer but here's the thing the blood you guys it really was dog blood They would later confirm that the blood-drenched shirt was covered in non-human blood, and that Randy's dog was, in fact, a part of a vicious dogfight where the dog actually died, and that Randy was actually in California at the time of Missy's murder. It all checked out, as weird as it is. Guys, just for future reference, if someone close to you is brutally murdered, probably don't. Bring a blood-sloaked shirt to the dry cleaners a few days after that murder all la-di-da. Because it's not normal. Okay, I'm just helping you out here. Now, police would obviously also look into Missy's husband, Brandon. And again, a lot of online communities believe that he had something to do with Missy's murder. In fact, there are a ton of theories that Randy and Brandon worked together to murder Missy. So on April 25th, the investigators would get a warrant to search through Brandon, Randy, and Missy's mother-in-law, Marsha, their phones. And all of their alibis would be confirmed. And they weren't around during Missy's death. Now, remember how we talked about that unusual gait of the suspect's walk? The FBI ended up consulting a forensic podiatrist to examine the security footage and see if like an analysis of the suspect's gait might help identify their gender. But the podiatrist explained that the unusual gait was due to the weight of the gear that they were wearing. And I don't know, man, I guess I can see that. And I understand that it's got to be like nearly impossible to identify someone based on the way that they walk. But I really believe like I get female vibes from this walk. And again, I'll drop the footage on our Instagram so that you can take a look for yourself. In late 2019, there was a tip that had been called in multiple times that the FBI investigated. There was actually a member of the church where all of this happened named Bobby Wayne Henry who just so happened to be a former tactical police officer. Now, Bobby would admit to investigators that he did, in fact, still own riot gear, but that it no longer fit him. And here's what's really interesting to me, though. This guy walked with a limp. Weird, right? And he drove a dark SUV, which was interesting, because detectives were looking into a dark SUV that had left the church building parking lot that morning probably the creepiest part about this guy is that the reason he no longer worked as a police officer is because he was suspended in 1996 due to aggravated sexual assault. And during search warrants, police found child pornography in his possession. And guys, this dude, he worked Missy's funeral. I guess it's like some kind of security detail. So he was arrested for the child pornography and then released in June of 2017. And when he was released, he did this interview and he denied knowing Missy or even her name, which is just wild to me because we know he worked at her funeral. This sounds like a really good suspect to me. And I can see why he would have been submitted multiple times to this tip line. But there were a couple of issues with him being the guy. For one, he was six foot one. And that did not match up with the height that they believed the suspect to be. They also would eventually end up being able to corroborate his alibi. And he was officially ruled out as a suspect. So officially to this day, there has never been any persons of interest named in Missy's case. And nearly eight years after her murder, it still remains unsolved. Missy's daughter, Hannah, would later say, quote, I've had people on Facebook message me and say, your dad did this. Your dad killed your mom. My dad loved my mom. And I know that 100%. I wish like, I had any kind of inkling on this case, but I really don't. I'd be interested to know more about who this person on linkedin was that Missy was chatting with in the days leading up to her murder, could this have been a murder for hire? Sure, but like why? There are just so many unanswered questions in this case and that's what's most frustrating is the fact that I fully believe that Missy's case can be solved and her daughters deserve justice for their mom. Guys, if you have any information on Missy's case, please call 972-937-937. 7297. Well guys, that's the case for today. I hope you enjoyed getting ready with me today and I hope that you have the best day ever. Stay aware and stay safe out there. Bye.